The internet has become a necessity, a way to find a job, do your homework, find a place to live, and perhaps find reliable legal information. The justice sector is under pressure to use more technology. But how does this affect those who don't have regular access to a computer or the internet? Smartphones, tablets, and laptops are pervasive, so it's easy to forget that they aren't accessible to everyone. In this episode, we're looking at the link between technology and justice. A 2016 report titled Internet for All from Acorn Canada found that low-income Canadians will forego other basic needs to be online. Of the 400 surveyed, 59% have dipped into other budgets to pay their internet bills. Of those, 71% went without food and 13% delayed rent payments. I think a lot of times technology is, is focused on how do we get people into the system? How do we help them assemble their documents? How do they, we get them information to know whether they're in the right place? All these things are very important uh, parts, but I think we lose something over time if we don't ensure that the principles of justice, which are fairness, equality, all these things that many people think are sort of quaint and nostalgic uh, in our current society, but I think we're starting to realize are nonetheless fundamental uh, for a cohesive justice society, uh, are not lost uh, through technology. That's Michael Gottile, Executive Chair of Social Justice Tribunals Ontario. SJTO works in parallel with traditional court systems. Tribunals are set up to be less formal, less expensive, and faster ways to resolve disputes. Can you comment on on the speed of work happening on legal technology? If you really believe in society as a collective, I think technology has the potential to connect us and, and really leverage and, and harvest some of that a collective wisdom and spirit and information, uh, which is all about justice ultimately. So I think what's too slow is uh, technology connecting um, uh, its potential to uh, fundamental principles of what people seek in justice. Perhaps some of my views uh, and ambivalent views or contradictory views are based on my own experience as a person with a disability. I'm, I'm blind. I have uh, uh, an eye uh, condition called retinitis pigmentosa. And so my own experience uh, with, with uh, technology has been an interesting journey. As I said before, I'm sort of cautious about uh, technology as the be-all and end-all. Uh, and yet technology, in terms of screen readers and adaptive devices, have allowed me to uh, continue in my career and, and excel in the work that I do. At the same time, as, I, uh, as I've experienced the, uh, the flourishing of technology, the introduction of technology into workplaces and so forth, I also see the way technology 
can, can create further barriers. Technology can be used as a, a, a platform to, uh, to have a more inclusive society, or if we're not careful, it can uh, continue and even exacerbate isolation. What do you think developers and people working in the legal tech space need to be aware of when they're designing new services and tools? Oftentimes, in many areas, uh, it's the people who are the most disadvantaged who are confronted with the greatest access to justice barriers and often are the ones who are in most need of uh, the legal system to protect their rights or to advance their rights or to resolve uh, issues. Um, We know that uh, for um, many individuals who may be middle or high income, they just don't interact with the legal system as much. We know that uh, statistically people who are uh, lower income and face uh, a variety of barriers are the ones who uh, will confront uh, the legal system. And so uh, we need to, to recognize that fact. I have often wondered why uh, innovation is um, linked to technology so directly. I think technology at this point doesn't merit that label necessarily. I think that what what innovation means is you're doing something new and trying things new ways. I don't mean to minimize all the things that technology can do, but I still think we need to make sure that it's based on the reality of people's lives and what works for them. We wanted to learn more about the digital divide, so we sat down with Julie Matthews, the Executive Director of CLEO, Community Legal Education, Ontario. The mandate of CLEO is to provide, to serve low-income and marginalized communities across Ontario and ensure that they have access to meaningful, effective legal information to help them with their legal problems. And because the digital divide, both sort of the physical problems that many people have in in accessing the internet as well as the digital literacy problem, those issues disproportionately affect people who are low-income or who may be marginalized for other reasons. CLIA recently launched a website called Steps to Justice. It provides clear language information and related next steps about common legal problems like spousal support or identity theft. This project is the first of its kind. Through TAG, a range of justice sector organizations collaborated to create a single online destination for reliable legal information. Anyone can access the website, but connecting with community workers is an important way to reach more people. We are starting to train those go-to people in communities, people in shelters, people in food banks, people who may work at settlement organizations, we are training them about steps to justice and the content that they can find there and how it might help people so that they can assist people who may lack online access. Those go-to people play an important role as a link between the legal system and the people who need legal help. Last year, TAG conducted a survey of a key intermediary group, librarians in Ontario. Our survey found that people come to the library for free access to computers, the internet, and also for legal information. Librarians routinely hear about their patrons' legal issues, which include accessing government benefits or problems with housing or employment. 
Results showed that librarians are keen to support access to justice in their communities. If we can reach them through technological, technology methods and help them understand the information that people may be asking about, we are essentially giving a really useful conduit to people themselves who have their problems. So those, those librarians, those shelter workers, they're passing on the information to people who may not have that digital, digital access. It's much easier to just be a consumer of technology rather than a creator of technology. And what we're trying to really cultivate at Civic Tech Toronto is this idea that, that we can be creators of, of technology. We met up with Gabe Sawney, Executive Director of Code for Canada, a new not-for-profit organization that will develop digital solutions to make government services more user-friendly. Gabe is also the co-founder of Civic Tech Toronto, an initiative that hosts weekly hack nights for people who are interested in using design, technology, and data to solve community problems. We often describe civic tech in contrast to consumer tech, um, that uh, civic tech has a focus on, on community, on meeting, uh, on understanding and meeting community needs. And um, it's not that uh, it's not that civic tech is never, uh, never, never revenue generating. Sometimes there are some examples of very um, uh, f- um, financially successful civic tech projects. It's just that in in the civic te- in civic tech, we, we we put addressing user needs ahead of uh, whatever the business model may be. In in Canada, um, in, uh, in in sort of l- large organizations, including government, the, the, there are still challenges in how we um, uh, how we think about technology, how we how we build technology, how we procure technology. And um, you know what we're hoping through civic tech is to is to is to provide a bit of a model for um, how technology can be can be built in this in uh, com- comparatively cheaply, um, comparatively quickly in a, in a way that that um, remains grounded and 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 keep, stays close to uh, to what user needs are. A cornerstone of the civic tech approach is a broad range of people working on different solutions based on community needs. You know, we're we're very much using many of the many of the tools and many of the techniques that that um, big consumer technology companies are using. Things like processes like human-centered design and user experience design to to inform the technologies that they're building. We're at Civic Tech Toronto. We're doing it in a, in a different way. We're um, uh, we're using the same tools, but we're 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 applying them to community needs. We're applying them to to citizen needs, to resident needs, and um, um, and and we're and we're doing so where we're putting those needs first. It's important, like people being able to access the justice system to to feel like they can get justice. I think that's an important uh, part of of Canadian society. The digital divide is an issue. It's a societal issue. I don't think it's limited to just the legal profession. It's something that the government, um, I think, should be thinking about. Technology companies should be part of this conversation. Um, you know, health education. I mean, I think everyone should be thinking about how to solve this. 
TAG organized a panel about technology and inclusion last fall during Ontario's first Access to Justice Week. Monica Goyle, a lawyer, engineer, and innovator, spoke about the importance of having diverse technological solutions. You know, it used to be that if you were a certain social economic class in Canada, that you wouldn't be able to access legal services. That is no longer true. And what we know also is that people who are delivering services to that are more and more only able to deliver it to smaller segment of those people. So we have a huge problem. And what we do know is that we have to find some type of solutions. We have to start working towards the solutions. What I don't want to see is that we have these conversations and we get stuck. So I am uh, very pro for delivering legal services in different ways so that we can um, provide services to people wherever they are and provide them with different options on how they access uh, lawyers and legal services. Recent study from TAG found only one in four people in Ontario uses the internet to find legal information. 78% of Ontario residents see the justice sector as old-fashioned, and 69% see it as confusing. Keeping up with technological advances is a key strategy for addressing the justice sector's public confidence issue. Legal technologists see untapped potential for access to justice technologies. Technology has the potential to make legal services more affordable for many more people. What we're seeing is more and more people, as we see in the courts, who are trying to do it themselves. Um, and this is not just limited to uh, you know, people who are going through a family situation, but also business owners who are like, um, you know, looking at the cost of legal services and, they, and they're not finding it affordable. Monica created two tech-based initiatives, My Legal Briefcase and Alluvian Law. These platforms help those who make too much money to qualify for legal aid, but don't have enough money to cover legal fees. Technology is rapidly changing, and it's been disrupting many different areas of business, of our life, socially, um, um, economically. And I think lawyers are looking at that and thinking, you know, how is that going to change our practice? I think if we don't uh, facilitate or be part of this uh, conversation, then we will be left behind, that other people will pick it up, and uh, maybe non-lawyers, and they will be the one who drive um, the innovation and change and and benefit from that um, in the legal profession. Hi, Amina, it's Sabrina. We called Amina Juma, founder of Legal Hand, an online platform that connects people with lawyers who unbundle their legal services. That means they work on discrete tasks for their clients. Legal Hand is essentially an innovative platform that enables litigants and self-reps to come together to solve their legal problems. So it connects self-represented litigants with lawyers that advise and assist on an unbundled legal scheme. For more information about unbundled legal services, check out our Law a la Carte episode. Amina was inspired to create Legal Hand while she was a law student and working at a legal aid clinic. I quickly realized how many people weren't accessing the legal system, and um, I realized that traditional legal service delivery model was just really inaccessible to many people, primarily because of the costs associated with 
lawyers. Um, and at the same time, I was thinking about how outdated the legal profession is with respect to the use of technology. I saw that firsthand in the legal aid clinic. Um, there were there were many things that could have been been improved on, and that uh, technology, simple technology, already existed in I think the business sector. I mean, we live in an age where um, you have apps for ordering your coffee in the morning now. So I think these norms and expectations have led to what I think is a much-needed rethinking of how legal services are conducted and also delivered. Amina created Legal Hand to address financial barriers, but in developing it, she was able to address another equity issue as well. I'm cognizant of legal consumers who themselves are racialized individuals who have maybe been confronted by very uncomfortable situations in a profession that is still dominated by mainly white males. So I've designed the website to ensure that there is access for individuals that would need people who speak their particular language or identify in some cultural way with that group of people. Legal Hand does not feature profile photos of its lawyers. Here, Amina explains why. Unfortunately, many lawyers um, who are of an, a visible ethnic background are um, not necessarily given as many opportunities as those in other demographics. I, I wear a, a hijab. Um, I am a black woman. So I think the current climate of the world in terms of politics um, are not in my favor. Those issues of inclusion and diversity have always been at the forefront of my mind and my experiences in the legal profession thus far. Me being, I guess, the next set of uh, future generational lawyers, I want to try to create a culture that ensures that people don't experience the same things I've experienced. So I think this is my small way of doing that. There isn't a single ideal or perfect solution. Instead, the work lies in diversifying problem solvers and perspectives. The potential for technology in the justice sector is exciting, but in order for it to be meaningful, solutions need to be based on the realities of people's lives. Thanks to Michael Gottile, Monica Goyle, Amina Juma, Julie Matthews, and Gabe Sani. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. For more information about this episode, check out the TAG website at theactiongroup.ca. This podcast is supported by the Law Society of Upper Canada and the Law Foundation of Ontario. Architects of Justice is produced by Jane Kim. I'm Sabrina Dellen. Thanks for listening. Have ideas for the second season of Architects of Justice? Send them our way. Visit our website at theactiongroup.ca.